you know, rather than, rather than try to educate everybody to be the same according to the same standard, measured by the same metric that we value Finnish school system, the policies value the difference, the diversity. So we are trying to educate everybody to be different from one another because we understand that, you know, if, if everybody thinks the same way, nobody thinks very much. Welcome to Education Rx. The education system in the U.S. is sick, and we all need to find ways to heal it. I'm Holly Bronson. I'm Shannon Donaway. Together, we have almost 50 years of experience working as professionals in a school setting. We may not have all the answers, but we're looking for people who have a piece of the solution puzzle. This is Education Rx. All right, so today we're going to get to talk with somebody who I feel like is rock star status <laughs> for us to get as a for us, yes. Yeah, I mean, we've had some pretty good rock stars this season. I am just so grateful for educators having big hearts and being very morally and personally invested in trying to support other educators and making change. And they're giving their time to share this information with us. That's amazing. But today we get to talk with Dr. Posse Salberg, who used to be part of the Finnish Ministry of Education and was a huge person and, and part of reform of education in Finland. And he has written multiple books. He has worked all around the world, including in the United States and our university systems with educational programs and written a lot of books and collected a lot of data and analytical information that tells us what works and what doesn't work in education. He has some really great things to share with us, and it's going to make all of our listeners think, rethink, and re-question, ask different questions. Yes, and that's what we need. We need to hear good information and question it and really think, should we grab hold of this? Should we move forward with this? Yes, so let's listen to what he's got to say. All right. So to all of our listeners today, we have a great interview for you guys. We are talking to Dr. Passy Salberg. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe a little bit about your background and how, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, thank you so much. For, and thanks for uh, inviting me to your wonderful podcast. I think it's a it's a very timely conversation. My, yeah, my name is Pasi Salper. It's a Finnish name, so I'm originally from Finland. I'm a lifetime educator there. I've been working in different areas of education, in school teaching in schools, teacher education, education administration, leadership, both internationally and mostly, of course, back home in Finland. I stayed stayed almost 10 years in the United States in different capacities there. Now I live, I speak to you from the most livable city in the world called Melbourne, Australia. I'm, I'm a professor of uh, educational leadership here at the University of Melbourne. And I work, uh, work a lot with schools and teachers and also with advising the systems here how to, how to get better and fairer. That's what we say here in, in Australia, and that's been my lifetime, uh, lifetime job. And inclusion, inclusive education is one of, the, one of the core areas of interest that I have had for a long time. And I think in your book, because I, well, you have multiple books, I should start by saying that. I was reading your Finnish lessons. I think it's one of the first books you wrote about some of the education reform in Finland and what all it entailed and your some of the things that you learned from that, some of the analytical data that came out of that. It's a really good book and it sounds like maybe a little bit of dry content, but it's really good. I have gotten a lot out of it. I've really enjoyed reading it. 
But one of the things I was reading in this book in the very beginning is that you come from a family of educators. Yeah, that's true. Thanks for the kind words about the book. And actually, I wrote the first edition of the Finnish uh, lessons while I was living and working in the United States. So I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, many of those things that I wrote and some of those things that I didn't include in the book were simply because I was living and having my, my child in the, in the school in the United States at that time. So, but, you know, going for, going for further back in the, in the history, yes, I was, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a son of two teachers. My father was a lifetime teacher. My, my mother didn't teach all, all her career and life, but, I, you know, I was born in a primary school in the northern part of Finland, and uh, I don't know any other childhood than, you know, being a student in a classroom and being a child playing in a classroom after the other kids have gone home. So I kind of accrue in, into this idea of a place called school and what happens there, and early on, I, I realized that you know, that's one of those places where you can do miracles. You can actually see magic. You don't need to be a magician. You just need to be a teacher to to make this magic happen. And I guess that that's eventually what drove me into seeking for teacher education and, and working as a, as a classroom teacher uh, as my first, first profession. Now, Shannon and I are actually what in the United States they call service providers or special service providers. I'm an occupational therapist and Shannon is mm-hmm. a speech therapist. And so we haven't been teachers in a classroom, but we work really closely with teachers. And that just happens to be our style of service provision, where we really work closely with teachers. And we have a lot of strong relationships with teachers. And I have so much respect for that. My mother was a teacher. My sister was a teacher. My first degree was in education. I didn't make it through my student teaching. (laughs) There we go. But very important work you do, people. Very important. Well, and we just really appreciate the work that they do. And I think One of the things and part of the reason we even started this podcast was because Shannon and I had it heavy on our hearts that in our country, we don't elevate and recognize educators like we should. And we really wanted to find a way to impact the education system in our country in a positive way, but really start to elevate teachers and educators in our country. And one of the things I was really impressed by reading your book and just doing some research on Finland is how much your country values educators. It's one of the top two or three professions that people choose to go into, right? That's correct. That's so amazing because here, not so much. And in fact, we're getting very close to having pretty much a crisis for educators. And this was coming before the pandemic. But then yeah. when the pandemic hit and people got burnt out and just fled teaching because they were exhausted and pulling their hair out, <laughs> you know, yeah. now we're yeah. even looking more and, and administrators in education are also looking at leaving. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very, it's a good question because, you know, how I see this is that everywhere, including the United States and, and all the countries, teachers, uh, used to be respected and valued. You know, if you look at your parents' time, your grandparents' time, teachers were some of the most important people in the community and in the society. So I think the question really is that what happened in some of these countries, like in the United States and here in Australia and and many other places where kind of a teachers began to lose this respect and value that they they had. And and even even more interesting question is that why in some countries like Finland, this didn't happen. The teachers continue to enjoy this respect and, and valuing as important parts of the culture and, and society. My answer is that, you know, Finland has been very good in protecting teachers and schools from what we often call bad ideas that, that haven't 
have been tested and experimented in different parts, certainly in the United States, but haven't been working as as their their thoughts will will do. Actually, many of those reforms that you know in America, you know this much better than anybody else, have have been working against teachers. Uh, for example, this idea of you know holding teachers and schools accountable for students' test scores in schools, and if if the test scores don't go up, then it's a teacher's fault, and you know we, all the blame goes to goes to them. In Finland, we understood early on in the early kind of early part of this this kind of a wave of standardized testing and accountability in early 1990s that it's this that this is not necessarily a good idea in the long run, and we stayed away. We kind of protected our teachers and schools from ideas like this that often came from a, a, a corporations and, and businesses. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why we, I think this, this example and some others have been able to maintain this respect on the teaching profession as a profession, unlike in many other places where teachers have been the, the targets of blame and shame when things don't work as, you know, some people thought <laughs> They, they should be working. And, and so so I, I think the, the, the secret of Finland in this respect is not so much about how did we make teachers valued and uh, respected and important people in a society, but how did we protect them and, and protect the profession from being the target of this uh, unnecessary criticism and blame. Does it make any sense to you? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, and I think one thing that we hear a lot from educators, whether they are teachers or educational assistants that come into the classroom to support. There's just so many ways that families and students can make claims against teachers or be mm-hmm. disrespectful. Or we, In our country, we're having a lot of issues with behaviors in classrooms and students behaving really poorly. And there are districts like in Albuquerque Public Schools, <laughs> I know that there is a policy that students are not allowed to tell other students that they can't play with them when they're on the playground. Teachers are not allowed to give any kind of consequences if a student has a negative behavior in the classroom. Instead, they have to take all the kids who are doing what they're supposed to do out of the classroom and leave the kid having the behavior in the classroom. There's some things happening that I think this is why teachers don't want to teach because they they mm. feel like they have no power. They can't do their job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are many examples like this that you tell. So, so you're not unfortunately not alone. Well, and it sounds like in Finland and where you've come from and some of the things that you're doing, because you were in our country and I know you've been in other countries where like you are in Australia now, trying to support them and understanding what those changes or what those protections might be. What are we going to do here in the United States? It's a big problem. We're a big country with a lot of states. And I know that even though Finland is smaller, there there are methods that could carry over to our country. How can we start making a shift? I'll return the question the other way around that what what, what are the things that you should stop doing or, or do less than you do now and and you know one of those things uh, I mentioned already is that you know think about school education and schools as as businesses or corporations where we can where, where we can apply the similar principles and logic like accountability or measurements or some other things that you know try to understand schools as <clears throat> as very different places and I think, you know, one you, you were asking one thing that you could do, and this is, you know, a thing that we all could and should do right now more than we do is to really understand children and, you know, their, their kind of a childish perspective on things and, and you know, what they, who they are and what they need. And, and we often, you know, in the United States and many other countries that we kind of 
we are stealing the childhood away from them by insisting that they have to go to preschool and kindergarten younger and younger and you know when you're three you should have your first cv written where you have all your accomplishments listed so that you can get to a good <laughs> primary school and so so you know the, the childhood in many places ha has been disappearing i've been done research here on childhood play and it's very it's a very clear in in america and here in australia is that children play much much less than they used to for example much less than their parents did <laughs> and many children see this as a as a kind of a fundamental problem problem and challenge for them in growing up healthy and happy mm -hmm. so i think you know one thing that you know if i was king of the world which i'm thankfully not but i i would you, you know i would issue i would issue a, a kind of a directive that everybody every parent and every educator and every prime minister and and president should you know think much harder about children who they are and what they need to grow up happy and healthy and what is childhood you know what should we do and then think about education systems accordingly and i think you know just simply simply understanding that play is such an important thing and part of their children's uh, learning and development. And, you know, fortunately, the Acad Academy of um, Pediatricians in America, that is the largest uh, 70,000 membership organization, biggest one in the world, has been very vocal and clear about their advice and, and often what they call the doc doctor's orders to return play back to children's lives uh, in schools and uh, in, in the family. So, you know, many of these things that you were asking, Holly, are basically they're so common sense and simple that people people even don't think about it. We just think about new curriculum or new type of reform and new things for the kids. And now it's going to be all about artificial intelligence and virtual reality. And, you know, those things will... <laughs> but, you know, what, the, what most of the kids need, they need just time to play in school and and at home with their parents and uh, that's that would be a good start you know if we could make this play revolution around the world that kids would play as they used to and we would listen to the grandmothers and grandparents advice what is important i think the, the world would be much better place for our children and through that it would be much happier place for us as well well and in your book you were talking about how the amount of time that teachers in Finland spend actually teaching hours wise, lessons wise versus United States and England and some of the other countries that have higher numbers. And I think you said in Finland, and I'm just going to quote your actual numbers in the book, and it could be different now, but in the book you were saying most teachers will teach about 800 hours for the school year, 600 hours for the school year in Finland. But here in the United States, it was almost double that. It was like 1,200. And mm. you were saying because teachers are teaching six hours a day versus maybe four hours a day in Finland, they're exhausted and they don't have time to go educate themselves or increase their skills or do those extra things because they finish the workday and they, they're done. They're like emotionally, physically, they're done. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about how, because your students don't start actual academic work until later in their school career than they do mm -hmm. here in the United States. And yeah. your teachers don't provide the long school days that we do here. And yet you're having better results because I know when we look at worldwide academic scores where the United States hasn't come into the top 10, Finland stayed in the top 10 for a yeah, long time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the 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 cold fact is that there is no correlation whatsoever between the amount of teaching 
instruction children have and what they get out of that as far as the 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 measurements are what they commonly are you know mathematics and reading and science some other kind of academic things so we should stop thinking that by you know having more instruction hours kids would actually learn these academic things better than they do now and that's the only metric that we use i'm not saying that they wouldn't learn anything anything else there are many other important things that they they can learn but that's that's something that it, it kind of a striking thing, as you said, in, internationally, is that how different the uh, children's experience is in their early childhood or pri primary school, for example, that how much longer children here in Australia or in the United States actually spend in a classroom engaged or often disengaged in instruction led by teachers compared to places like Finland or Poland or other Scandinavian countries. So, so I think that, that's, that itself is a kind of an interesting piece of evidence uh, indicating that maybe it's, it's a more important thing is what the kids actually do when they're in a school, not, not so much about how long they spend time. And for, for long-time educators and education policymakers and administrators, administrators have been kind of a thinking that just you know if the kids don't learn mathematics or reading just teach them a little bit more could put more stuff in a curriculum the Finnish way of thinking has been exactly the opposite is that you know if the kids don't learn something it may be also that we are trying too hard too hard to do something that is is taking time away from something else and mm. you know in the Finnish school system the the uh, arts and music and drama and play are so much more important than in in here in Australia or in the United States. And I think that, that the Finnish teachers tend to think that, you know, in order to learn well, you know, this reading and mathematics things that are, are critically important for everyone. But in order to learn well, the kids also need to be opportunities, have opportunities to, you know, play and sing and dance, and, you know, all those things that are important. And that's kind of a, this movement and artistic thing. Creativity is the one that then helps them to learn other things. And I'm a strong believer, you know, I used to grow up in an environment like this and I was teaching teachers for many years in Finland to teach like that. And I've been leading the system in Finland that operates every school works like this. And I, I'm, I'm a true believer that there's a some so kind of a some sense of truth in that type of thinking rather than the alternative that is often that more more and more stuff earlier and earlier for kids so that they are they are successful in their lives the, the, you know this whole question of what is it to be a successful student in a school or successful in life is something that varies a lot from country to country and i think uh, yeah. finland is much more about you know kids kids understanding who they are what they're able to do what their curiosity and interests are uh, somewhere else, it's it's more about what your test score is, or how high you are in the in the, in the league tables or ranks compared to other students. And so, I, I think we we still need to we still we still have some way to go to, um, you know, have more kind of a childish perspective to you know all these things that that we are doing. But definitely in in, in education reform, the idea that more more would be better it doesn't doesn't work it's often the other way rather less less is more by doing less we are able to get more out of those things and in my book i actually one of one of the chapters there is titled less is more in finland and it's a, it's a kind of a finnish finnish secret and it's a, it's a kind of a secret in some other places as well like singapore for example is often mentioned as a as a model 
the Singapore's national strategy for school education has been that teach less, learn more for many years. And that's a kind of a mentality. So I, I think uh, I think there's some, some uh, room for rethinking in other places as well, what to do. What about students with diverse needs? How did Finland, how does Finland help those types of students? Yeah, I can give you a long answer or short. <laughs> Maybe I'll go, somewhere, I'll go somewhere in the middle and say, you know, yeah. Those who know about the Finnish, uh, the history of the school, current school system know that it's about 50 years ago when we came away from the kind of a parallel education system where students were selected to those who have more and better education often and those who didn't. So it's been 50 years history of this type of what we call a comprehensive unified school system where every child spends the first nine years of schooling until they are about 16 years old in the similar school system where there's not there's a kind of a limited uh, there's no selection there uh, there's a kind of a limited choice in terms of academically oriented schools or more vocational it's a, like a it's a kind of a comprehensive program and the key idea, idea in this comprehensive program is the the inclusion that every student that we have been been basically doing away all these special schools that we used to have where you know kids with the severe special, special needs went to and they they were receiving a different type of curriculum and, and program. Now the Finnish system is built in a way that that basically everyone, all the children go to the, their neighborhood school, unless the parents really think that there's a better way for them to be somewhere else. So this includes, of course, the idea that there are a lot of kids with the all kinds of special needs and diversity in the, in the Finnish schools. That is a, is a huge challenge for the system. Like if, if the education system commits itself into this type of thing, then immediately the system has a serious kind of a challenge how to do that in each and every school. So the, the Finnish way of doing this is, you know, again, this is based on, like many ideas in Finland, is based on a good American proven evidence-based ideas, like, like what do a special needs teacher, or people like what you do in work, what what do they need? How do, how should we prepare them? How should we? How many of people like you there should be available in every school so that they're able to do these things? So so, but we you know we have started to think about this already in early early 1980s. So it's a long time ago. So we have a system now how these people are prepared, how special education teachers are recruited and placed in a school. How do we define? child with the diversity needs or special needs that is very different compared to what it is in the United States. Like, you know this better than I do. What people think when you say that somebody is a special needs child, that is mostly mostly an individual with the kind of a medical conditions that places him or her into, into this category. Whereas in Finland, it's a much less about the medical kind of a medical issues. It's much more about behavior and developmental things that can be helped or supported by school. So we designed the school system during the last uh, 40 years, really, to, to be in a kind of a uh, build in a way that every school is able to welcome children as they are. One good example here is that in the United States, when you, when you and many, here as well, you know, when we speak about school readiness, we almost always think about whether the child is ready for the school, whether he or she is a kind of a developed uh, to the point where there's a kind of a good reason to expect that this child will be able to be in a school and progress like everybody else. But in Finland, school readiness means that is the school ready for different type of 
types of children as they are. So the challenge <coughs> is shifted to the school uh, where, <coughs> where the leadership and teachers are asking that, are we able, do we have everything that it takes to work with these diverse needs that kids bring into school each and every day? So it's a, it's a very different way of you know, thinking about this thing. It's much more about the responsibility of the school and the system than the kind of a duty of the parents or somebody else to, you know, take care of those things that kids are able to to be successful in school and finally my last point here is that i think that in the finnish system and in the nordic systems in general in sweden and, and norway and denmark as well i think what we do more than certainly more than here and, and more than in the united states for children is that we understand health and well-being as part of education service delivery in the through school and and that's why we we kind of make all, all these beautiful services that you both do, you know, nursing and psychologist and, and dentist and all those things available in each and every school all the time. It doesn't mean that every school has a dentist, but every every child in every school has access to regular kind of a checks, health and well-being checks and, and services and support in the school rather than that the parents will, you know, drive them somewhere in a clinic or somewhere else. And I think that, you know, this goes back to this, this fundamental question is that what is a school? What is the pur purpose of a function of the school in a community or society? And in the Nordic country, school is much more kind of a, more kind of a holistic place for supporting children to learn and grow up healthy and well, compared to many other places where school is still seen as a primary, a place where curriculum will be delivered to to the children where the, the the only function is to generate knowledge and skills and that's it and i i think that that's that's one of those things that we need to we all need to think much more now after the this horrible pandemic and before the next one hits is that you know how the schools can can really uh, you know serve and help more the uh, not only the children, but also the uh, the parents and the communities and, and societies by you know keeping us safe and and healthy and and learning. But that's a it's it's almost like a different paradigm what we have what we see in in the Finnish society because of this long history of evolution and development of of uh, all these necessary services and this whole idea of inclusion. I think in in Finland is much deeper and closely connected to this fundamental principle of equity in education compared to many other countries where inclusion, inclusive education is much more kind of a re recent idea. And it's sometimes thought as a kind of a different project or program. But in Finland, it's a, at the heart of this equity, equitable, equal education that we have been trying to do here for the last 50 years, really. Well, and that's in your book, you were talking about how inclusion for you also meant and you're saying it now, equity. And when we're looking at the United States, a lot of times families with lower socioeconomic status or families of color or different cultures that maybe are, you know, in contradiction with white cultures, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, mm -hmm. a lot of them experience inequity in part because we have it set up in the United States that, oh, if you don't have enough money, then you get free lunch. Oh, if you don't, you know, and so it kind of puts a label on those kids. And you talk about in your book how every kid gets free lunch, a healthy, good free lunch at school. Every kid has access to, you know, the schools. It's not like if you live in the nice neighborhood, you get to go to this school. Like you just, you talk about how the culture in general really looks at equity. And I think 
that is something that's huge and that across our country, we're seeing more and more leaders rise up and, and bring those things to the surface because we've got to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the school school lunch thing is a good example that we all know, you know, the, the best studies, the best research around this idea is done in the United States. So you know this much better than anybody else, how how effective and beneficial a healthy regular school lunch without labeling kids who will have it and who will not can right. be and so so but you know if anybody needs a kind of a system-wide systemic evidence then come and look at finland finland is the only country that has been doing that since 1943 wow. every single day for every single child and nobody nobody pays anything you know that's the beautiful thing that you don't need to you don't have you need to have a ticket or money to do that it's, it's considered as again it's considered as a not only just the nutrition, it's considered as education. So that when, when the kids learn to do that in the school, they also learn to understand what is healthy food and why do I need to have it? And, you know, where, where do carrots grow? You know, that's kind of an interesting thing is that you ask primary school kids, so where, where do you think carrots are made? And kids said, well, they're made in a factory. They grow in the trees. The kids don't know anymore where the food comes from. And so, so what, what we try to do in Finland and some other countries where this happens is that we use this fact that every every child every day meets in front of a healthy meal to educate them that where does this food come from. And probably even more importantly these days is that what happens to the food if you don't eat it. And so so that it's a it's an important thing is this kind of a sustainability and, and the fact that yeah. you know there are many kids who would appreciate whatever you leave on the plate. And then that's a source of new type of learning. Why does that happen? Where are those kids? Why they don't eat? What can I do for that? And so you know these conversations that you often find in the Finnish cafeterias, when the kids are having their meals, they often look a little bit like the corporate business lunches. You know, you, you invite somebody for lunch and you do it not, not just to meet the eat, right? That, that's not the point of ha having lunch with somebody. It's to meet somebody and have a conversation. You may have a question or issue or problem that you want to consult with the, this person. The kids are doing exactly the same when they see our example in the schools, that they meet because they want to have a conversation. They, uh, they want to meet somebody else and you know just have a chat and or tell the story, tell what happened to yeah. them. And such an important thing. If we just understand it more broadly than you know just you know giving kids food that's not the point in finland that they, you know we could do it in much uh, much different ways but we understand that it's part of the curriculum it's part of the learning it's part of the growing up in this type of understanding of valuing good food and those who prepare that uh, and all those who grow that food and also think about more sustainability wise that you know how can we continue to do that without you know harming our future Earlier in this season, we were able to talk with Dr. Andrew Ho from Harvard, who says hi, by the way. Oh, okay, yes, thank you. <laughs> and we were talking about um, the NAEP, the National Assessment of Educational Progress Scores, our nation's report card. And this year, um, well, in 2022, we had the first scores back since COVID mm -hmm. and our scores in our nation, I'm sure you're aware, just sort of bottomed out. They look horrible right now. So we were kind of talking about what does that mean? And it kind of led into a very natural conversation about our standardized testing mm -hmm. and how frequently in the United States we test. And one thing you were talking about earlier that I think ties into the testing is that in our country, we've lost faith in teachers. We've lost respect and trust in them. And Andrew was telling us that 
the whole annual standardized testing came from a push from Americans saying, we don't trust that our teachers are teaching our children what they need to learn. And so we need to test them every year to prove that they're doing what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting because looking in your book, I see, and not just in your book and in research I'm doing around the world for different countries and what their education systems look like and, and how that turns into high quality academic skills and looking at like the PISA scores where they test worldwide to see how students are doing and what are their problem solving skills and how can they be good leaders in the future. This whole idea that we're testing constantly in the United States doesn't relate to other countries where they test maybe a a couple different pivotal times in the educational process or maybe even only once before students sort of graduate and go into higher education. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I think it's a it's a complex topic as probably Andrew, hi Andrew, that you have been probably <laughs> um, hearing from uh, from him. But you know, first of all, I think we need to to be aware that there are different types of uh, tests. There are those that include all the children and have high stakes attached to them. Some of the state level tests in the United States are exactly like this, that they, they have stakes, kind of a consequences for the, the child and often for the, um, the teacher and the school. But then there are also those tests like NAEP, for example. I think you're referring to the, the uh, this national educational assessments that are done regularly, but they are not measuring, including all the children. That is, we call that they are census-based assessments that have no stakes for individual teachers or kids or schools because they are kind of a statistical statistically designed things just to give an overall idea of the system and i think i I, we we need to be very careful here when people speak about standardized assessments you know those high stake they're sample based let me correct that i was talking about the sample based assessments like naep so these high stake census based assessments that include all the all the students like all, all the time when when it's done like every every year like in many states are, uh, we are required to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's a kind of a thing where we begin to see problems because as long as soon as the, the high stakes, the stakes are kind of a getting higher related to these assessments, then it means that the, the 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 teachers and parents and kids themselves start to kind of learn how to manipulate these things. You know how 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 the kids are prepared for those tests and how to avoid a kind of a failing kids or failing results and you name it. There's a lot of literature and research about the kind of a malpractice related to uh, standardized high-stake assessments in the United States and everywhere else, corruption and, and many other things. But, but you know, these, these sample-based assessments like NAEP can be very helpful because they can help help the policymakers to see how the systems are progressing and doing in certain areas. But we need to understand that, that the data that we have is only about uh, reading, literacy, and mathematics. And these days, you know, the kids are learning learning many other things. You know, my comment to this, your, your question about what has happened in the United States for the for the kids learning during the pandemic, I think it's it's been a horrible time in, in, in many places in America. You know, kids were away from school for a year or even more than that. It varies a lot from, you know, from family to family. That's, you know, some, some families were able to, you know, help their kids to get to the textbooks or learning materials and, you know, do those things. But then in America and here in Australia and Finland, there are a lot of parents and families 
particularly in the middle of the COVID, that they didn't have this luxury of, you know, teaching or working with their kids. But I, I think that, you know, the first reaction I often have, and I've been having conversations with my my colleagues and friends in the United States and Canada and, and here in this uh, situation, some people call it the learning loss. I think it's a it's an absurd concept. It's, it's, it's in many ways that, you know, I, I had a conversation with some young people about in early, early, early years of COVID about this learning loss. And they, somebody said to me that, how can I lose something that I never had? <laughs> and I started to think that actually that makes a lot of sense that it's actually not a loss if the child never had that because they don't know what they would have had if they, if they were in a school. So in a way, it's a, it's a kind of a crazy topic. So, so instead, and this is this is what I learned from many young people and kids is that they said to me that why don't you ask what what, what I'm learning when when I'm not in a school? Okay. I'm learning a little bit of reading, a little bit of mathematics here and there. When I play and do these things, I work with my mom or father in the kitchen and do these things. So I learn these things. But you know, more importantly, I learn all kinds of other things, like how to get along with my brother, okay, <laughs> or how, how to understand you know what this whole idea of pandemic you know where did it come from i learn about you know the medical things i learn about the history and different countries and and i say how good is that you know if the kids say that you know when i'm not in school i'm actually learning all kinds of other things and then i have to conclude myself saying that who am i to say that you know that's that is less important and more important it is that you don't lose anything that we were supposed to be teaching you in a school <laughs> so i think you know i'm not i'm not denying this fact that you know that if the, somebody was not able to go to school for entire year that there there's a lot of instruction and curriculum that this student has lost or missed but there's no learning loss there and you know if if we only we're thinking like more like this as educators and authorities and politicians and sometimes parents that we are not so much concerned about this learning loss, what, what the kids would have lost. Because, you know, the fact is that they will lose this, what they learn in school anyway. Again, there's a, there's a massive amount of American research that is showing that what we think kids learn in the school, even in the, in the reading and mathematics, within the next three months, they lose most of that. And, and so... For me, this is a kind of a thing that should we then focus more on those things that they probably always remember, those skills and things that they will never lose. Like, you know, some of those things that happened during the COVID, they will never lose. So they will always remember those emotions and feelings and things that they learn to do. You know, many kids learn to play an instrument, a musical instrument during the COVID. I have a number of kids who say that. I, you know, I realized how cool it is to play piano or guitar or just sing, you know, do karaoke at home. And, and that's, that's a kind of a skill. So, so I think we adults, we have, you know, what the COVID is teaching us is, is exactly this, that we have to, before we rush to condemn kids or the systems or, or be too pessimistic about this learning loss thing, that how much we have, you know, even there's some economic predictions that because of this COVID now, the kids will lose billions of dollars combined in the future income. But, you know, no kid thinks like this. Nobody, no young people thinks like they think about, you know, right. what, what, what was this? You know, how, what does it mean for me? And how can I, you know, go, go uh, you know, forward with these things? And this is exactly why we need to listen to these kids more and, and, and try, to, try to learn to think a little bit like them 
rather than always be concerned about how much we are losing and you know all those kind of negative things kids are very you know positivity is rooted in the, in them if we just let that that kind of a flourish and and that's you know the covid is a, such an important uh, example of that that again but i want to underline that i'm i'm not i'm not going to try to ignore the fact that you know there there are some kids and many kids actually who need to be uh, taken care of and helped and support now after the pandemic much more than we we were doing before and that's why this this whole idea of inclusion and special education this kind of a holistic approach to schooling is is so important post pandemic kind of a new idea so one of the things that I wanted to ask you about a little bit is when we talk about inclusion in our country, and you kind of touched on this, a lot of times we're thinking those students who have physiological disabilities or some kind of medical condition or significant limitations, but now we're seeing that inclusion really is the art of not excluding anyone. And one of the things that comes up a lot for that is this concept of universal design learning. And you were sharing with me that it might be a really good idea to talk to listeners about what does that mean? I went to school and got a master's degree in an area that included a lot of focus on universal design. So I say it just like a buzzword, right? And then I realize people don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> okay, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, so from my perspective and what, from what I have learned, basically universal design is a teaching approach where the focus is on making sure all learners have equal access and ability to the learning materials and the knowledge and the ability to express what they have learned. So a lot of times we associate that with a specific practice, a style of teaching or even using technology or other ways for students or the learner to really kind of get into that information. So maybe if I'm a student that has dyslexia or struggles with reading, then maybe I have access to text to speech through yeah. technology so that it reads to me or reads along with me. So if I get to a word I can't read, I don't have to stop. I can kind of keep going. So a lot of times people think about technology with that, but it's also the hands-on idea. And we spoke with Sam Carey, who has a company called the New Ed Tech Classroom. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's a mm -hmm. phenomenal teacher and really teaches teachers about how to use really good easy principles in how they're teaching and designing their lessons. And what he said when I was speaking with him was that he thinks that teachers shouldn't spend more than a minute or two giving instruction at the front of the classroom, but really create ways for students to get that learning, whether it's through a video, whether it's through reading, whether it's through a group project, you know, whatever. And the teacher going around and really assisting them in answering questions and helping them direct how they're going to take their next steps. So if it's a math problem, maybe the teacher records instruction on a video and then students can watch the video and as soon as they're done or they get it they can just move forward but the student who needs to hear it a second time or a third time can re-listen to it or raise their hand and have the teacher come over and give a little more explanation but then the teacher just kind of stands at the front in the beginning of class and says okay everybody get this out and this is what we're doing today let's go and then the students really get involved. And I think in our country, there's been sort of a, a style of teaching where the teacher's up at the front and 
kind of here, I'm going to impart all this wisdom to you and kids are trying to sit and focus <laughs> and listen and absorb it. And we know now that, especially in these generations, it's hard for kids to learn that way. Yeah. yeah so I'm yeah. wondering when you're looking at in a classroom in Finland, some of the ways that you guys gave information, gave instruction, how those classes or how that gleaning of knowledge happened and how students were able to express what they had learned. Is it project-based? Do they write papers? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think it's a very it's a very useful explanation what you what you just gave. And and you know, this this is exactly what what the in, in many places the pandemic pandemic style teaching often look like this. That the kids are actually they get this information or lectures, if you wish, or presentations through the videos sent by teachers. And then when they meet and when they met online like this. It was more about conversations or asking questions or working on tasks that kind of turns this knowledge uh, into practice. This type of uh, kind of a flipped classroom thing is yeah. also becoming part of the high school, the higher education, the universities right. are now realizing that more and more. And America is leading that, you know, that movement uh, globally because some of the things that you have done already before, far before the pandemic. So I think it's important. And, but and and you know your your point is exactly correct about you know what this kind of effective learning environment could look like oftentimes when people come to see Finnish schools they kind of expect to see a kind of a powerful pedagogy and and uh, dynamic organizations and and this type of like a well structured sequenced teaching and learning activities it's true that you can find that in some schools more i would say that the the, the Finnish culture of teaching and learning is more about, you know, making sure that the children, everybody understands that when they come to school, that what is the, what is the function? What is the purpose of that? Mm. That the, the kids are not learning. You know, this goes back to this, our conversation about standardized testing, that the, the purpose of schooling is not to study for exams or assess standardized tests. Right. Or the purpose of schooling is not to study for your parents or somebody else. Or the purpose of schooling is not to study for the economy. That we often say that you know you have to go to school to get a good job. The purpose of schooling is to find more about yourself and what you're really interested in, who you are, and who are the others around me. And you know what, what is this thing called life? You know what should I do with this? And and this is what the, you know the Finnish kids they learn this already in preschool. You know before they come to formal schooling is that they they are they are kind of a help to take this respons uh, responsibility of their own learning and development as much as they can do that. But definitely the earliest uh, education in Finland tries to help kids to, you know, walk away from this situation that I have to go to school because somebody else, or I have to, you know, I have to learn things because, you know, people are asking me to do that, that, they, that you know, this is not the purpose of schooling. So, so when kids finally are in school, and I'm I'm not saying that every 100% kids would understand this. They are, they are probably, they are probably those who have no idea, you know, what they, you know, what they're doing when they're in a school or why they have to do that. But I'm talking about like the intention is this, and this is this is what the schools and teachers are trying to work hard so that kids would understand that they are they're, they're in a school because they the school is the only place that can help them to help them to, to discover and realize their own interest and talents and passion and that's the only that's the, the best bet for life you know if you if you want to have a good life 
like I have two primary school kids here, uh, here in Australia, and I, I tell them that, you know, if you know what you're interested in, if you know what your passion is, what drives you to do things, that's the best bet for a good life, because that will keep you going, that will keep you doing things for yourself and for others. If you have no idea what you're interested in, if you, if you, if you're not like, if you don't find anything curious, you're in trouble. It doesn't matter which school you go to or what degree you have, you're going to be in, in deep trouble with this. But, you know, this is the kind of a culture of Finnish schools that we have been doing already a long time is that, that it's a, it's a, it's a very individualistic in a sense. Um, again, you know, it's, it looks like an American, the ideal American school that is based on kind of an individual focus on individual child rather than collective instruction. To be honest, the American K to 12 education for me looks much more like, seems like a kind of a collective, like a socialist type of communist type of practice <laughs> where everybody has to study the same standards and then there's somebody measuring exactly the same test at the same time. And, you know, that, that what the, the, the kind of these planned economies that are, have been fading away used to do. That's how the Soviet school system was exactly like American system in many ways. But, you know, the Finnish wow. system is, the uh, Finnish education system is much more, you know, valuing the individual and trying to, you know, try to, rather than try to educate everybody to be the same according to the same standard measured by the same metric that we value Finnish school system, the policies value the difference, the diversity. So we are trying to educate everybody to be different from one another because we understand that, you know, if everybody thinks the same way, nobody thinks very much. And, and then you have those rebels in America and here in Australia who kind of break away from that type of things like you know the the um the cliches they say that you know Steve Jobs Bill Gates and uh, and those are the ones like uh, but they never they, they were never able to live and be with this kind of a standardized way of schooling because they knew that we I, I'm, I'm different I have to be different I want to do different things so you know that's the, the kind of a Finnish way of doing this thing and you know that's why we have the Finnish economy and the system of society has been so creative and innovative uh, for a long time, like we have been often ranked as a, one of the most innovative countries and economies and uh, societies uh, in the world. And it's it's partly because of the, you know, we're a small nation, but the education system is able to provide this kind of a space where it actively helps everybody, each and every individual to be themselves and, and trying to figure out what their passion is rather than insist that everybody has to go through the same it's like a same type of, it's like a sausage factory that you put them in this machine and everybody comes out in a, in the same way. And so that's the, but you know, many people who come to Finland, look at the Finnish schools, they fail to see this, that they don't, they kind of so desperately try to find these secrets of powerful pedagogy and teaching and learning and all these methods and arrangements that they, you, you don't see this kind of a big picture system that is uh, pretty much still working like, like this, that. Uh, and you know, just think about kids when they come to school and when they understand that you know this is the, this is what we call schooling, that it's for for me to you know build myself and and explore who I am, and then try to figure out what you know, you know what what are those things that I really want to do in the in the future, and then make your decisions regarding education and and other things. So, so I just want to say this so that people don't waste time when they study Finnish school system or certainly if you if you come and see the Finnish schools try to see also this kind of a bigger picture like what is school and what, what are the kids thinking when they come to school what are they expected to do what is the system kind of a 
requiring from them. And uh, it's, it's a very different world than in many other places. Well, and I think it's a good point that when you're saying it's not just the school, but there are other systems within the country, there are other political systems and cultural systems that support these concepts. And I think in the United States, one of the ways that we're going to make change in education is to look at some of those other systems politically and, and economically and some of those other systems and really include them. And in your book, you talk about how those systems have to be addressed if you're going to reform education. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's a systemic systemic thing. We, we should never expect that the education of the schools or education system alone can do make miracles. It's always a kind of a interplay between the health and uh, other social policies and youth policies, employment, you know, many other things uh, and the whole whole community. And in Finland, higher education, like going to a university or even going to a trade school where you learn to be an electrician or a plumber or a carpenter, all of those things are free for students, correct? Yeah, they are tuition free, uh, tuition fee free. So nobody has to pay anything. Yeah, we for have a, a lot of people in this country that by the time they get done with their higher education, they have so much debt that <laughs> it's hard to go live a good life because you're paying off what it took to get through school and get a degree. And that seems a yeah, little yeah. yeah, there have been some, uh, some of my, my colleagues like Linda Darling-Hammond and others have been proposing that at least the, the American teachers should receive free education so that, you know, if you want to teach in a early childhood or, or, or K to 12 school system, that, that your, your initial teacher education would be paid uh, so that you don't need to think about Money. I think it's very fortunate if you if we have these great individuals who would be phenomenal teachers, but they don't want to do it because they cannot afford it. I, I don't have money to study to be a teacher, let alone that you know I can live my good life with the with the kind of a compensation and 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 salary that they receive. So I think that you know that's one thing that Finland has also taken care of early on to make sure that no good young person would turn away from teaching because of these reasons that, that it's uh, well enough compensated. And education is not only that it's a free for students, but it's also kind of a challenging and rigorous in a way that that no young person should walk away from teacher education saying that, you know, I can do much better than this, that, you know, that, that this, this program is designed for those who are only kind of a, a mediocre in their, in their kind of academic or or professional rigor that they, you know, the teacher education has to be challenging. It has to be demanding and rigorous for students. That's what young people, that's what drives many young people to do it because they want to, they want to be seen as, uh, you know, the other professionals in a society, lawyers and doctors, and they don't, you know, if they have half of the education, a less rigorous, academically rigorous education than the, the other professions, nobody will take teachers seriously in a society. So, so that's, what, again, something that Finland has been doing already since the late 1970s is that primary school teachers' decree in the university is exactly the same. It's the same amount of credit points and same type of research project and thesis than the lawyer or doctor or architect or anybody else will do. And, and that's that has been the critical condition for you know, maintaining these teachers' status and value in a society at the same level as uh, all the others. I mean, I think about it and I think we don't have an agency that would go to an attorney or a physician and say, oh, the person in your office 
started breaking things and you told them, I'm sorry, you can't be in this office if you're going to break things. So you're going to be punished for telling them that. But we do say that to teachers. It's crazy, right? Like some of these things have gotten very extremist. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, in this case, I often tell the story of myself. I actually, you know, given my past as a as a, somebody who was born in a primary school, you know, being primary school teacher was my dream job when I was in a high school, but I was not good enough to become primary school teacher. I applied twice, but I was rejected both times. So instead, <laughs> I decided to, I ended up teaching at Harvard University and now being a professor at Melbourne University because I, I couldn't be a primary school teacher. But, you know, this is how... <laughs> How uh, how kind of a demanding and challenging it is, and uh, I have you know I take my hat off always in front of Finnish primary school teachers because I, I know that how difficult it is to get in and how how, how they have to study to to uh, you know graduate and how difficult the job is that they do every day. So so that I you know I could be a primary school t- teacher in Finland, but I was not good enough for that. So I do what I do. <laughs> wow, what perspective. Oh, yeah, that it, it is. We need we need better perspective. And I think there are a lot of people working to make that shift. And I think you've been working to make that shift, not just in Finland, but you've gone to multiple countries and really tried to share this message. Because around the world, we have to remember that the kids that are in school today are going to be the kids that are leading the world tomorrow. And it affects all of us, whether you have a student in school or you're an educator or you're not. It affects you. You know, I think, yeah, yeah. you know, in 10 years, I'll be retiring and who's going to be doing my job, you know? So it's important for all of us to pay attention to this and be invested in making these changes. So I just really appreciate that you would take the time to share this information with us. We're doing absolutely everything we can to try and get this information out and get people having conversations. So maybe we can move things forward in this country. We would like to. Yes, no, you can, you know, you, America has this uh, can-do mentality and uh, yes, yes, we can thinking and, you know, as long as you have that one, anything is possible. And I often say that America is the only country in the world that has everything it takes to transform education to be something that would include each and every child every day and, and make make education better. No other nation can say that, you know, here we here we depend on knowledge and ideas from elsewhere certainly Finland is fully depending on you know some of these some of these solutions that are required and wisdom but you guys you have uh, everything but you know it sometimes seems like what Winston Churchill used to say that you can always count on Americans to do the right thing after they have tried everything else <laughs> that, uh, it's it may be may be true in education as well that, that you will eventually get there but after trying you know all these other other options and solutions that seem to fail. And then you realize that the Finnish way maybe is the one that takes you there. But, you know, the Finnish way, as I said earlier, is American way in a way that that we have. We have built our education system on best ideas from the United States and Sweden and Germany and some other places and much less about like a Finnish innovation things. But yeah, you can you can do it. We hope so. We think so. We believe so. And we're talking to some amazing people this season that are giving us great information, including all the great information you just gave for us. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for spreading the word. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time and being with us today. Okay. It blows (laughs) my mind that in this interview, as he keeps talking about the research and things that like children need to play more 
we shouldn't be pushing them in preschool to get these great grades so that they can get into the right primary school and all of these things, how competitive we are in the United States. And when he's citing research, he keeps coming back and saying what, Shannon? That it's U.S. research. That right. it's our own. Re he kept referring that <laughs> the Finnish school system is not like designed by Finland. It's designed off of the U.S. research. Why are we not using our own research to guide education in the U.S.? I, I don't. <laughs> and I don't get it. Having lived in states and cities where recycling and conservation of resources has been really huge throughout my life, California, Colorado, New Mexico, I've always had that mentality, reduce, reuse, recycle. But in the end of our conversation with him, he really talks about how, well, if something's not working in a year, if it doesn't turn things around, we throw it out the door and try and grab for something new instead of taking that like we would in a medical situation or a scientific situation and say, why isn't it working? What can we do to tweak it? Now let's try it again. Oh, now it's working a little better. So let's tweak it a little bit more. Let's go back. And we just throw it out the window. We don't recycle it. We don't reuse it. We don't, and that's not working. No, I have seen that done so many times in schools where they'll grab onto the, they'll latch onto the latest, greatest program idea, use it for a year and then be like, hey, this isn't making improvements. <laughs> Did you love that he said, basically in the United States, we are almost communistic in our yeah, that was students. We have all these people and we're going to put them all in the same room at the same grade and you all have to accomplish the same thing. And yet in at the, the same States, time, we're, yeah, we're a country based on a melting pot mentality and we are not being equitable and we are not honoring diversity and we are not, not honoring our teachers. No, not in education. We do not. The other really cool thing was, what is the purpose of school? Like, yeah. do kids know that the purpose, well, the purpose should be for them to learn who they are, what their interests are, where can they contribute to community, their community, and build on that. That is such really? a better way to approach kids than saying, you need to go to school to have a good job, and you need to go to school to whatever. Well, and looking back, like even in season one, when we did, when we interviewed um, Kathy House and she was talking about the social emotional learning program that she used school called The Leader in Me. And it was all about giving students ownership. And then this season, we've talked to multiple people talking about student driven or student centered learning and how we need kids to have ownership of their learning. What am I getting from it? What works for me? What doesn't work for me? And that is at the core of what needs to change. It doesn't need to be standards. It doesn't need to be more testing. We need students to want to learn. Yeah, I think that's a huge takeaway. Huge. And I think in what you and I do when we go into classrooms and we work together with teachers is we try to help show teachers how our students who maybe have challenges and kind of throw their hands up and don't try because they think they won't be able to do it. We try and help them find ways to engage those students so that they can also be learning and have success and feel success. And that's so important. Every kid at every skill level has some way to engage with the learning, get something good out of it that's meaningful to them and do something that makes them feel success. I, that just is at the core of what needs to happen. Absolutely.
I agreed with <laughs> like all of that. Yes. I just... <laughs> well, this was officially our last episode of this season. We did notice in all of our analytical information on our podcast that the number one downloaded episode that we've had so far, well, up to this date when we're recording, is our highlight and review of our first season. And so there's a really strong chance we're going to do a review and highlights episode coming up just so that people who miss stuff can kind of catch up and, and maybe hear sure. some things that we didn't get to talk about in the actual episode because we're always trying to watch our time. So that may be coming, but this was our official last episode with a guest and we're going to use that to kind of springboard into future episodes where we really want to talk more about teachers and rebuilding trust for teachers in this country and giving teachers things that they can do today in their classrooms and just empowering them. So that's kind of what we're looking at as we're moving forward in other episodes that we really want to talk about. I think that's a good plan. Woo, this was a good season. We had so much good information. Oh, I love it. And you know what? I think at the end of the day, the big takeaway is there's so much hope. There's so much potential in this country. Dr. Salberg said, we are the one country in the world that has everything we need to educate people correctly. Let's do this. Together, Together we, we can, can do, do better. better. Ah, all right, guys. We will catch you very soon. Take care. Bye.